welcome to the Sociology and Animals podcast series. In this program, we speak with folks specializing in the sociological study of animals and society in an effort to document and explore how research in our field is applied in the real lives and careers of sociologists. My name is Dr. Corey Wren. I'm currently chair of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association. But this podcast is coming to you from Canterbury, England, where I have been living since 2019 after accepting a position as lecturer in sociology with the University of Kent. Here in the UK, I am a member of the Animal Human Studies Group of the British Sociological Association, as well as the Vegan Society's Research Advisory Committee. In addition to teaching environmental politics, social movements, and animals and society at the University of Kent, I'm also co-director of the Center for the Study of Social and Political Movements and a member of the psychology department's Shark Lab, which stands for the Study of Human-Animal Relations at Kent. As you can see, I have had the great privilege to develop my career around various facets of animal studies, but it hasn't been easy. Our field is growing, but it is still small and doesn't always elicit support from colleagues, prospective employers, editors and reviewers, grant funders, and so on. My aim with this podcast is to challenge this institutional discrimination and provide some insider insights into making a career out of animal studies. Not that long ago, the idea of a career in animal studies would have seemed impossible, if not outlandish. Today, there are considerably more opportunities, but a lot of mystery and ignorance remains about how to go about pursuing and succeeding in this line of work. Especially with academia being so competitive and prestige-oriented, I think a lot of folks are hesitant to discuss the nuts and bolts of their career making. It is my aim that this podcast will serve as a sort of informal virtual mentorship for folks interested in learning more about the sociological pursuit of animal studies. So without further ado, let's meet today's guest. So welcome, David. I'm so pleased to have you. Well, thank you, Corey. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell us about yourself um, really quickly, what it is that um, you're interested in, what your claim to fame is in sociology and animals? Well, um, uh, I had kind of a journey, you know, when, uh, you know, when I was younger and then through most of my university career, there wasn't a word said about other animals. I mean, nothing. When I got to university, I was politicized and learned about you know, all these different forms of oppression. And I uh, made uh, some money part time working as a tenant organizer. And I didn't think anything taking a break from um, from the uh, tenant union running down here you know, to grab a burger somewhere. I just didn't make any connections at all. And I just happened to be visiting a friend at uh, uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison back in April of 1983. And there was a, um, uh, there was a big rally being organized. And uh, I thought, you know, well, this is great. Whatever it is I'm in, you know, maybe it's U.S. El Salvador or Housing Now or anti-racism. What is it? And they were talking about animals. And I just sat down on the hillside and I listened to these speakers and I was just like my whole world was shaken when I stood up again because I was learning something that I didn't know anything about. No one had mentioned in a single class or single book about all of this uh, uh, horrific treatment of other animals. But then as a, I was uh, working on my uh, PhD at the time, and as I was taking in all this information, I was just thinking about it as a sociologist, and I was struck in a couple of ways. One was, how could I have gone this far in my education and still not you know, had a clue about what was going on with other animals? And then I was struck by just how 
powerful the you know, the system of ideology was in the United States that just kept this so hidden and concealed. And then I was thinking also as a sociologist, and I can immediately, I could see the parallels between the oppression of uh, humans and other animals. And then a day or two later, when I was thinking more about it, then I began to see the uh, entanglements. So um, I began to uh, talk about this in classes at, um, uh, when I uh, started teaching, uh, when I got my first uh, gig in 1989 as a social professor. And then I've uh, finally managed to put it down in some of these ideas down uh, in book form back in uh, 2002 with um, animal rights, human rights, uh, you know, trying to share some of those ideas. So I've been kind of plowing away ever since, you know, trying to make some kind of modest contribution um, uh, into helping people realize, you know, how deeply interconnected is between the oppression of, of humans and other animals. Thanks. I think you're being a bit humble about these books because these books are sort of reimagining history. <laughs> like these, they're really huge attempts to reimagine uh, the history of humans and other animals in ways that really fundamentally changed the way I thought about um, these issues as a sociologist. And I know that other sociologists have said the same. Uh, and something else that I thought was really interesting is that you're, when people read your work, I think that they, when you're reading this, you would assume that you have been someone who's been doing this all your life, but you started out like a lot of folks have, coming to this a little bit later in life. And one of the things I think that speaks to is the socialization aspects of our own discipline, how it socializes us into a certain type of researcher, a certain type of um, values, and a certain set of biases. It kind of reminded me, I came across this um, it was a book of a bunch of notes, collected papers by William Lloyd Garrison, who obviously dedicated his entire career to human abolition. Mm -hmm. And there was an animal rights activist from Ireland who gave him, they were friends, he gave him his book. It's one of the first animal rights books. He gave it to him um, in passing. And then in one of these letters, William Lloyd is just writing like, the rights of animals, who would, and like exclamations and bold and capital letters. He was just flabbergasted because he himself had never applied all this work that he'd been doing to uh, free enslaved peoples yes. through the concept of other animals. So it's just really, I think, interesting to think about how we have been, even for hardcore social justice activists, we've been really socialized to kind of put up blinders in a way. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Is there anything then, so kind of one of the focus, the focus of this podcast is to kind of push back on sociolo sociology in a way it has restricted us and not encouraging us to think about other animals, but in a lot of ways, sociology gives us the tools to think about animals in a critical way. What is it about sociology you think that is useful in that context? Oh, I, I think for me, you know, one of the biggest insights of sociology that I've applied to everything, but I think especially, you know, the uh, uh, treatment of other animals is you know, the whole concept of the social construction of reality. And I was, um, you know, my world was rocked, you know, back in the 70s, you know, when I read uh, The Social Construction of Reality by Berger and Luckman. And then since then, uh, Peter Berger did a nice synopsis of that in chapter one of his book called The Sacred Canopy. And I have students read that from time to time. But, yeah, just this whole notion that this reality is socially constructed and then to begin to apply some critical theory and then you realize this, this reality is not created democratically, it's created hegemonically. 
mm. uh, by powerful elites. And and then once you have that knowledge, then you, then you have the tools to start questioning everything. I think that's great. Actually, I found, I found that it's a smaller book, isn't it? The Social Construction of Reality. Yes. Yeah, so it's worth a read if folks are interested. Um, well, what about... Um, so I think that one's very useful, but are there any other particular theories or theorists that you think might be useful for listeners? Oh, um, amongst, uh, amongst sociologies, <laughs> you know, when I was getting started, uh, you know, there, there wasn't much there at all. Um, you know, I, I read and then, uh, and then after a while became critical of you know, the book by Singer, and I found a lot of value in Tom Regan's work. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm today, you know, I, I value the work of people like you and, and Roger Yates in Ireland. Uh, um, and I think, um, you know, today, you know, and, and I'm just so hopeful because of so many um, uh, uh, younger people coming along with, you know, with uh, uh, you know, just brilliant um, insights. And I just finished reading um, Apco's book, yes. uh, Racism and Zoological Witchcraft. And I think that's just, uh, that's just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, because in some ways it reinforces my work and then it, like, it, it sends me in new directions. So um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just really take, I'm really heartened by you know, so many young scholars coming of age now and, you see all this brilliance, you know, coming in uh, to challenge the suppression. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. The has come up several times in this podcast, and I think she's kind of cool because she she didn't even get a PhD. She went out, she got a master's degree, I believe, in communication, uh -huh. and then she said, you know what, academia is not for me, and I don't need academia to do what I want to do to write and to challenge people. And so she just creates these books that are really accessible which I think is really, really cool. That's interesting, David, because every single, almost almost every single person I've interviewed on this podcast thus far has pointed to these new directions in kind of black feminist intersectional scholarship and critical animal studies. So I think this is really jazzing a lot of us. And AF's work has also been really, really formational for my own. And when her work comes out, I just get really excited because I know it's going to make me think. Right, exactly, <laughs> yes. Reread a lot of it. Like, wait, 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 what? And go back and reread. I'm like, that's, it's not often you come across work like that that really challenges and pushes in that way. Yeah, that's the truth. Okay, so here's where we're going to get to. Since you've been into this, in, in this for several years, so that's funny you said uh, April 1983. I was born in October 1983. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been at this for a while. So yeah. for those of us who are up and coming, who are into this, so I have to credit you. You were an amazing mentor to me and you really helped me along. So I'm hoping we can pay forward a little bit. For folks who are listening to this, what kind of um, advice might you give them if they're interested in pursuing this field and doing the sort of stuff that we do? Well, I think as you know, um, you know, mainstream sociology is still sees this whole field, I think, as as a stepchild in some ways. Back when we were trying to start the section, oh, the late 90s, I think, uh, it was uh, uh, Janet and Steve Alger, uh, Cliff Flynn, um, uh, oh, who else was there? Uh, you know, we were trying to start this section, and we had to get so many signatures on a petition and submit it to the... Uh, to the uh, ASA uh, primary council, whatever they're called, and, and they turned it down. 
And then the okay. next year we came back again and they turned it down. And I think um, Joe Fagan may have been president about that time. And he sent me an email and, and he says, he says, the councils, the compositions going, will change. He said, he said, just keep, just keep submitting your proposal. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So uh, eventually you know, they gave us a section, but with all these caveats, you know, um, we'll see how this goes. And you have to have so many members. If you don't get this many members by this date, then you'll be terminated. I mean, they really made it difficult. So, and, and then once the, uh, to be candid, once the, um, and once this, this section was up and going, then it was a bit of a struggle within this section back in those days is people who became section members weren't so, they weren't in it for the uh, liberation of other animals. And they, so I, I began to experience, you know, some, some, some pushback within the section because people thought I was too radical. Um, I wasn't being objective. So, <laughs> and and I, I've leaned considerably toward um, you know, uh, critical animal studies, but you know, when I was when I was starting out, and I got my first gig as a professor, um, and and I was uh, I taught uh, courses on global stratification and um, and uh, uh, courses on oppressed groups. So um, uh, so I wasn't hired to teach critical animal studies. I I just began to increasingly uh, incorporate it more and more into my work um, and uh, and when I got my current position at Wittenberg University in Ohio and I wanted to create a course animals in society uh, there was a, a lot of resistance there amongst the faculty especially uh, the biologists and psychologists who said you can teach this as a topics course but no way will this become a part of the curriculum so you just have to be tenacious and keep pushing and keep pushing. But I, I guess for me, it was, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't trying to get hired as a critical animal studies scholar. I was marketed, you know, as um, kind of a neo-Marxist, you know, critical uh, sociologist. Uh, and I got my foot in the door. And then increasingly now, you know, all, all, my, all of my courses in one way or another are looking at entangled forms of oppression, and all of my research now for years has been looking at the, um, uh, the uh, historical basis of entangled oppression and how that manifests itself today. The psychology, psychology. department. Come on. Pardon me. <laughs> the psychology <laughs> department. <laughs> yeah, the psychology department. They were doing big, a big, uh, a lot of research on rats. Oh. at uh, Whitburg at the time. So they didn't want students thinking critically about that. In a couple of days, I'm going to have one of my colleagues from the psychology department here at Kent who is also vegan, also does all his research on animal liberation. And they have quite a few people there who are very pro-liberation. So it's just, I think that is really heartening because you do think about psychology and all this horrible animal testing and stuff like that. Right. Um. Yeah, that's really cool to learn about your history of how you got into this. I think that's pretty much the case for anyone who wants to teach this, is that you're going to have to maneuver your way into it. And you don't necessarily have to compromise if you're if you're making these intersectional cases. I mean, that's really at the heart of animal oppression anyway. It's, it's always going to be entangled. So I don't, wouldn't necessarily say that this is a form of selling out in order to get uh, animal topics covered. Right. It's just... Um... Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's like, you know, I, I think when you got your position at Kent, you know, they were 
they were drawn to your um, uh, your critical studies of the uh, of women's oppression and uh, you know critical look at environmental issues. Um, so so I think until yeah you know, until we make more headway into academia, you know that's probably the way I would suggest that somebody you know market themselves so to speak. Yeah, so thanks, David. I um, really appreciate you taking some time to explain the history of this. This is really cool. I've learned a lot. Um, so where can we find out more about you, learn more about you? I don't think you're really on social media, are you? Yeah, not not so much. But um, uh, if uh, anyone goes to my webpage at Whitberg University, um, part of my perspective and research is laid out there the, the university <laughs> they don't like it very much but that's where it is so uh, yeah they can find it there at the Wittenberg sociology uh, website okay and I'll put some links on as well because I reviewed both of your no I think at least one of your books I've reviewed and so I can post a link up to that oh, great. And, yeah so it's, it's funny about Wittenberg not I find that Kent actually is pretty conducive to my animal stuff. They don't necessarily, my colleagues kind of poke fun, but they also like let me go and do all these things. So I feel yeah. a little bit more supported and I didn't, ne I don't necessarily have to hide my animal focus so much. Although they had a school does make fun of me. He's like, gosh, you're like a broken record with this animal stuff. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yes. he, he, he supports me. He was, he had my back when I wanted to get that animal class up and running. So, you know, I think Good. he's taken. All right, so I will let you loose, and uh, thank you very much for speaking on the podcast today. I know this will be really interesting to folks. Well, thank you, Corey, and thank you for all your amazing work in activism. Um, again, I, I, it makes me smile when I think about people like yourself. Aw, thanks, David. <laughs> so there's a few more minutes left before the end of the program, and I wanted to use this time to give a little bit of more background on David Nybert, who he is, and why his work is important. I think he's a bit humble and doesn't really want to say, but um, in my opinion, uh, David Nybert is really one of the founding figures of uh, vegan sociology, of critical animal sociology. Yes, we've had uh, folks who were writing before him. Um, I really need to look into this, but there's a professor who, Clifton Bryant, who is really credited with pushing, I think he did back in the 70s, publish some stuff on um, why sociology should think about animals. And I'm pretty sure I was in his class. I took his class as a university student at Virginia Tech. It was a class on the sociology of death and dying, which I just took because it sounded interesting. But I think later I come to find out that he also was really one of the pioneers in the sociology of animals and society. But Clifton Bryant was a hunter, like he was definitely not pro-animal. <laughs> like he was like, he, he did safari hunting or something. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. So really for me, the person who really set the foundation for critical vegan sociology is David Nybert. And when I first read his book, it really transformed my way of thinking about um, these bigger questions about human relations with other animals. So his first book on this topic that came out in 2002, Human Rights, Animal Rights, basically rewrites history, and uh, it's very ambitious in that way. But see, so we were talking about the social construction of reality. Well, one of the ways that reality is constructed, and often in unjust ways, is through the rewriting of history. Um, 
Max Weber, Karl Marx, all the founding figures in sociology were always very critical of this construction of history. And so this is what David attempts to do in his own work as he reconstructs history to bring animal voices back in. So there's that book and there's another book that came out more recently, 2013, which is on the same topic. This book is called uh, Human Violence and Animal Oppression. And basically it takes on this concept of domestic, what he calls domesticration. And just a side note, one of the other things that really has influenced me from David Nybert's work is his focus on language and deep and kind of uh, politicizing language, I guess, by denoting its contested nature. He'll change the language. He will put problematic words in quotation marks or italicize them. And so he says it's not domestication is the more correct way of of looking at this because domestication is a bit of a euphemism. But basically he makes the argument in that book that the um, advent of domestication really was a turning point in human history where we doubled down big time on violence against other animals, the control of feminized animalized bodies, and then you start to see kind of a conflict-based society emerging out of that. And there are ramifications, of course, today. And domestication has only increased and is projected to increase even further. So these books are really, really foundational. And they're asking really big questions, macro questions, about human relationships with other animals. And I think really, really good reading. His first book, actually, I use as, an, as a textbook when I teach animals in society myself. Um, and I also wanted to highlight that David is kind of interesting because he is certainly an activist scholar. And this is something that I think is worth highlighting because a lot of folks who come into sociology, the longer you were in it, the more you realize that, you know, there's a lot of careerism. There's a lot of folks who are just really interested in getting their publications out. Um, what school are they getting into? And they don't necessarily um, remember why we're here in the first place. So. This I know this this section of the ASA is really a space where folks can really embrace that scholar activism. <clears throat> so we talked about this in the last episode with Zoe Sutton. Like what what is this sociology for? Who is it for? And David has been really instrumental in not just talking the talk, but he walks the walk. And so we had a a campaign last year. I think it was last year. It was a few months back. There's a college in Ohio that was doing a farm-to-table program and was using nine lambs in this program. And David really was working really hard to orchestrate with some other folks as well. There's some other sociologists who were involved in that. And I was, I was, I'm in the UK, so I wasn't able to physically be there, but I did get a website whipped up. But he was out in the trenches. He was out there doing interviews. He was flyering, and he was getting a lot of pushback. And I think that he's a really interesting character for that reason. Not just he wrote these books that really shaped the field, but also even after all this time, he's actually putting this work, this theory into action. So definitely worth checking out his work. And I'm really, really pleased to have spotlighted him uh, in, this, in this series, in this podcast, uh, if anything, for the institutional history. And last point on this, um, he mentioned after we stopped recording that he had forgotten to mention Jessica Greenbaum, who was who we interviewed on episode two. But Jessica has been there from the get-go as well. And like David, they've both been really amazing mentors, are really, really good people. And I'm very pleased to uh, have them on this uh, this show and get a little bit of their 
knowledge, wisdom, and sage advice. So with that, let's let the credits roll. Thanks for listening to Sociology and Animals. I hope you found it helpful and informative. If you want to learn more about the sociological study of society and animals, you can check out the website of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association or my own website at coreyleebrin.com. You can also check out the International Association for Vegan Sociologists, and the website for that is vegansociology.com. Feedback and suggestions can be submitted to myself at coreyren at gmail.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y dot W-R-E-N-N at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to share the series with others. The music for this podcast was provided by Ode to Sleep, a band local to where I live here in East Kent, England. Ode to Sleep explores various topics with their music, including human and animal rights, environmental issues, equality, and mental health. Their debut EP will be released in September 2020 through Is No IN Team Records. Their single featured here is called Captive Audience and is available now on all streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Dr. Corey Wren signing off. All the best. <laughs>